I'm fortunate to be friends with both of the guests on this episode. And with them both based locally here in Toronto, it was a no-brainer to pair them up. Meg Popovic is a Director of Athlete Wellbeing and Performance for the Toronto Maple Leafs, the National Hockey League's largest and most glamorous franchise. Mark Champagne is the CEO of Keo, a wellness platform that includes an app built around journaling and prompts. This is a raw, honest, and open conversation about mental health and well-being and includes a lot of vulnerability from all three of us. If you take anything away from today's episode, it's that we all need to talk more about our mental fitness. I'm Cody Royal, and this is Where Others Won't. Meg Popovic, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. We've got Mark Champagne here as well. Mark, how are you doing? 100% looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, let's, let's have some fun with this. Um, obviously, a very topical conversation to be having right now, particularly around you know, the areas that you guys play in sport and technology and, and, and the broader landscape of you know, wellness and, and mental health. You know, Meg, let's start with you on that. You know, you've watched the mental health and wellness industry you know, scale up dramatically over the last, say, decade. You know, from a kind of general commentary on, on how things have unfolded, you know, what's been the most interesting aspects for you? I think the normalization of the conversation around um, wellness, mental health, anxiety, and, and maybe even more so just people talking about their feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very common within schools, whether that be elementary or high school, where feelings are integrated into the social emotional development of children. And then I think those children are now moving into the workplace and we call them millennials. And I think the workplace is catching up with those conversations around feelings slowly, but I think, um, it's observable and very, very cool. We have a long way to go, but I think we, we're, we're trending in the right direction. I agree with you. And speaking of which, uh, it's a good kind of segue to you, Mark, you know, as a relative outsider and, you know, feel free to give us the, you know, the, the two second kind of origin story with how you ended up in here. But what was, you know, the, the compelling aspect of the industry and, and this movement that, that made you make such a dramatic leap over into to what you're doing now? Sure. Well, thanks for the question. And so the context is I left a, a career in, in health or in the pharmaceutical industry, which was around, let's say, 10 years, and left that to join into the startup world, um, which was completely, it still is foreign to me, if I'm speaking frankly. Um, but the whole reason behind it, uh, there was actually no link um, between what I was doing day to day. It was more so what I was, sorry, no link, what I was doing day to day on a corporate side. It was really what I was doing before the job started. And that was journaling and just trying to fuel my mind early in the morning with positive things. 
So reading blogs and when podcasts were come, starting to come out, just taking in that content. So for me, over the last 10 to 12 years, just seeing how that personally helped me through my job, through life events, all of that. I mean, it was just so obvious that this is something, it, it almost felt like a hidden superpower. And I'm super excited to be on, on, the, on the podcast with Meg because I think the one thing that people understand is usually from an, from an athlete standpoint, you know, that people are doing a lot of these practices. But when it comes to outside of sports or, or high-performing teams and all of that, it's a bit taboo, right? So, you know, and, and that to me is what's really exciting and starting to change. And, and, you know, I really want to try to be part of that movement and help create that different narrative so that people can leverage these tools that are all available for us. Why don't you be a salesman for 30 seconds and, and give us a little bit of a, an overview on what you're working on. Um, and then we can kind of lead that into, um, you know, some of the, the, um, the aspects of like what we're doing personally. Cause I think that would be sure. really helpful as well. Sure. So when I left the, the corporate world, I left to start a wellness, let's call it a wellness ecosystem. And, and the first product in that was a, uh, was and is a, a digital journal called Kyo. That's, that's K-Y-O, and that's the Japanese word for today. Um, and the whole premise behind it is that, you know, how can, we, how can we combine two big markets, which one being content and inspiration, and, you know, exactly what we're doing right now. I mean, you're asking us questions, and there will be a ton of prompts left by all three of us through this conversation that, could help others. And I was, I was noticing that as well on the podcast scene and then in blogs and books and kind of realized that like our life is really just a series of questions and answers. Right. And it, it really boils down to, are we asking ourselves the right questions and, and, and are they the right questions at the right time is even more powerful. So what we're doing is combining those questions and that content from people all around the world, whether they're athletes, chefs, designers, writers, just people that are prioritizing their, the health of their mind and putting that into a, a digitally guided setup. And that's essentially what the app does. And the other part of that is I, I host a, a podcast that's linked to it as well called Keo Conversations. And again, it's really, you know, it could be interviewing a Michelin star chef about that person's story and journey, but 70 to 60% of the conversation is really based on what are the mental fitness practices that you're doing and, and how have those evolved over the years to keep you personally and professionally at, at the top of your game, all to really stimulate reflection. Like that's our main purpose is how can we help people slow down, come off the autopilot and just think a little bit. Yeah. I love that. Meg, you know, you're in hockey now and working with young men, uh, much the same as me as a, you know, a coach and the statistics around, you know, men and mental health are particularly poor. And I know in Australia where I'm from, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of reached epidemic proportions in terms of suicide and, mm-hmm. What are some of the things that, that we can arm them with, some of the questions that we can arm them with to, to even ask each other, uh, whether they're friends or, or colleagues or teammates, to start to recognize when someone might be a little bit off? As you're speaking, I had, I had an answer prepared, but as per usual, there's a, a shift in feeling when I'm listening to you speak. And initially, 
I had a list of questions. And then I realized it's more about the, the being of the person asking the question than mm-hmm. the words themselves, because it's truly about the person you're asking the question to rather than having the right words or the right questions. So I think it's, you know, the, the most powerful questions are the most simple questions and the timing and the energy around how you approach a teammate or how you approach as, as a coach or athletic therapist, the athlete is really, really important. And uh, to attune oneself to that is, is uh, a skill and it, it has to be intentional. So when I'm thinking of the best question from the, from the environment that I'm in, it's asking someone like, how are you doing today? And maybe that's it, but leaving enough pause that that person knows you're genuinely interested and care. And if you really care to know, or you're, you're observing that that person's a little bit off, the timing of that question might need to be when you can go for a walk with that person or you're in a more quiet environment where you see them and you look them in the eye or you just hold the space and then that person knows that you genuinely care. I think that's the first thing is just asking a very simple question. And then depending upon the power dynamics, I think the trust level with that between the two people and in the person being asked the question, you could always follow up and say, you know, I know you said you're fine, not in that moment, but maybe you give them a text message or, or a call, something that's really non-confrontational. I think text messages for the, this generation of athletes and young people work best because it's, it's, in, their, it's in their world. Yeah. You say like, you know, I know you said you're fine, but I'm just wondering if you're really, you know, if there's, if there's anything you ever want to talk about, just, I just want to let you know I'm here. And that's it. it. It leaves the power in the person who's having that experience, which may or may be a momentary thing in the day, or it may be something bigger that's going on, but you really allow them to determine when they want to open up. And, and, you know, you mentioned young men in particular. And for me, I often get asked like, are your meetings mandatory with the athletes or, and I'm not, I'm not, I'll tell you a little bit more about the dynamics of our organization because for me, I'm, I have life coach training and a PhD in um, health science and culture. And so I don't consider myself a mental health expert, but I understand. So for the athletes and these young men, what I find is most empowering is that nothing's forced, nothing's expected of them but that they're given the opportunity to choose when and to whom they want to open up to. And that is so empowering for men who may at the very time when they need to open up, don't feel as powerful as they want to be or feel like they should be. Yeah. I love that, that response, Megan. I'm curious for you personally, because what I'm hearing in that from, from your perspective that obviously I'm, you as a person, you have to be probably very self-aware or have an awareness in, in, in the timing of things. Like what, is there something that's helped you over the years develop that tuned in skill? I guess mm-hmm. like, how are you continuing to do that? 
Yeah. Well, I'm a, I am consider myself like a course-aholic. Like I love taking learning courses and not just for the content, but often for the experiential learning of how to engage with people. And that could be from all different types of environment, whether that be yoga training or mindfulness training or coach training or psychotherapy training, just, just kind of like building, building people skills that are really useful. So, so there's a concept in the coaching background that I, I have training in that's called the levels of listening. And I think this is so interesting. I've, I've sent so many different players or staff members to this training because, because I think the skills are useful. And so in the levels of listening, this relates to what you're saying, Mark, of like building the capacity to become more aware of how to engage with the other person without trying to think you have to psychoanalyze the person, you know, because that's not, that's not necessarily even useful. So like level one listening is, uh, would be the thoughts within your own head. You know, most of the time we're thinking about the thoughts within our head. And even sometimes when other people are speaking, we're still consumed by the thoughts within our own head, even though we think we're in conversation. So then level one, like noticing when you're in level one, level two is listening to the other person's words um, and, and attuning to what they're really saying. And then level three listening would be, you know, global of like what, what's going on in the space and what's going on around them or, or, or trying to pick up feelings and senses. And even, even like the, like you guys said earlier, like the air conditioning turning on, just being more aware of the space. And I think if someone wants to approach another person, but maybe they don't necessarily feel comfortable because, you know, they themselves may not feel comfortable of like what the other person is going to say. You just need to shift at a level one, which is thinking that you need to know the answer, thinking that well, no matter what the person says, you have to have the right response and just go into a level two of just listening to what they have to say, holding that space. And as, as, as simplistic as that concept is, I think what it does is elevate your ability to be in relationship with another person. And that to me is about um, community and building this framework around, okay, how are we going to integrate mental health in an environment where it's totally new with people who may not necessarily even feel comfortable talking about their feelings or thoughts? What I loved you said there, Meg, was you know, a couple of things that I think really go unnoticed or under-discussed under is you said the word intentional and needing to be intentional about you know, the questions that you ask and uh, and addressing the whole issue in, in general. And then the simplicity of just even using those simple questions that tend to be throwaway questions. Like how many times a day do we ask each other, how are you? But it's such a, it's, it's just a throwaway question that's how you're going and just in passing. But it can be so powerful when done intentionally. Yeah, I, I think people would, would be amazed that just the re the ability to repurpose something as simple as how are you going to actually help with this whole discussion around the, the health of the people around them. Yeah. Oh, there's one other thing that I wanted to add. And then I had a question actually from Mark and maybe you too, Cody, if you wanted to share about questions. So, so I think one of the things that I think helps the, other, the, the people feel comfortable in a workplace or in, a, in any type of community is that, you ask the question of how are you doing or, or you have a little bit of a conversation about what's going on and then you remember what they say. Actually try to remember what people say so that the next time you <laughs> see them, you know, the next day or the next week or two months from then where you're crossing paths again, 
you, you bring it up. And I think that listening um, value, it builds trust because it, it builds a relationship so that that person knows you, you care and you're not just caring because you're asking caring questions, but you care in the space between the time you see them and that what they say has enough importance that you remember it and care to ask again. That, I think, is a golden ticket for building trust at, in any environment is very important. But I had a question for, for you, Mark. So you, I love the idea of life is a series of questions and answers. So what is a question that you are really interested in looking at now? That's my first question. And what is a question that two years ago, at say summertime two years ago, was very interesting to you or even boggled your mind? Ooh, those are, speaking of questions, those are great questions. Um, I think the first one that is really interesting that, I don't know, I, I almost feel like at, at the minimum on a monthly basis, it, it pops up in, in my head again. And it was, it was a question left on, on our podcast by Jamie Wheel, who's one of the co-founders of Flow, Flow Genome, and just really all about trying to help people get into flow states. And, and the question was this, you know, what in me has to die so I can continue forward? And, and I'll add, I mean, that, I remember when he, he mentioned to me, I kind of looked up into the, into the ceiling. Well, that's, that's pretty deep, but what does he really mean there? And we started talking about it. And when you start looking at the context behind that, you know, you can relate it to even just our, our seasons, right? I mean, we, we go through summer and, and winter and fall and spring and all of that. And, and in nature, things are blooming, they're dying, they're kind of rebirthing and you're going through this evolution. But as humans, I feel like we have a hard time accepting that letting go, right? And it's, so it's something that has, that I'm, I'm constantly thinking about, like, am I, if you take a minimalist look at things from a, from the physical world and translate that into your mind, is it, does my mind look like a jammed full uh, of boxes type of room or is there space to navigate and see the opportunity and see the decisions that need to be made? And I feel like the only way you can get to that is, is to let go. Right. So it's something I, I found I'm super grateful for coming across that, that conversation because I'm constantly challenging myself, you know, you know, what is it that I can let go of? Is it a relationship? Is it a thought or a mentality that's just not serving me anymore so I can free up some mental space um, for other things? The second question just relating to, uh, I think you said, you know, two years ago, something that was, that was really powerful. That's a tough one. Like I'm trying because for, for me and, and a lot of the reason why, why Kiel was started was that I, I noticed that the questions in my life now will be different next month and, and the months to follow. So those questions are always revolving in, in my head, whether I'm writing that in an app or on paper or walking down, down the street. So two years ago, I think it would have been more of, kind of simplistic gratitude type questions, right? Like what are things that are, you know, that are going well that I'm really grateful for. And, and now just going through this journey to evolving that to being more specific to the week, let's say like what was awesome about this week or what would I have changed about this week um, and trying to do that 
you know, at the end of the week on a Friday, maybe mid-afternoon, not when I'm trying to rush out from wherever I'm at, but just doing a little bit of reflection on, you know, there's a lot of stuff that happens during the week. And if we, if we can pause for even 10 minutes to think about what we would have changed or what we, what we're, you know, proud of ourselves for accomplishing that week, well, then we have a lot of the answers to the, to the questions that we, that we may have, right? So mm-hmm. I'm kind of, I, I don't think I 100% answered the second question because I, I can't remember because the, the, the questions keep evolving. And then especially in the, in the world I'm in now, we've, you know, we have 200,000 prompts in the app. So there's a lot of them and they resonate <laughs> at different times. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I want to play. Yeah, yes. play. Something that I heard recently and she's been a, a guest on my show, Nancy Spotton, and I've started using her introductory question, which is what makes your heart sing? And Nancy uses it whenever she meets anyone. She doesn't even go to hi, my name's Nancy. It's just straight into it. And I think it's really telling. It's, it's quite challenging, obviously, to answer straight away. <laughs> yeah. But I started just weaving it into more and more conversations. And it, I think it has a certain level of cut through with people. It gets rid of a lot of the bullshit and the, the facade that we keep up and the the social media life and the, the Instagram selfies and all that kind of thing and, and really looks at, you know, we're talking about your heart and, you know, what makes that, you know, really buzz, like what gives you that, that feeling. And, yeah, so, you know, I, I realised what my answer was and then once I realised my answer, it was I was interested in, in everyone else's. So that's my current question what makes your heart sing and then two years ago would have been around the time that I published my book and that was a time in my life where I was in a very competitive phase what I mean by that was competitive with myself and my question is what do I want to leave behind so what do I want my legacy to be and the reason for the dramatic shift in my career was that I realized I was headed on a path towards leaving nothing behind. There's going to be no legacy item that my future children, future grandchildren could look at. And hence the book and hence podcasts and, and, you know, the work that I'm trying to do is, is having an impact. You know, if I get hit by a car walking back to work from this podcast that there's something there that I contributed to society. So it was, yeah, what, what do I want to leave behind would have been two years ago. And it's still something that I like to talking of prompts. I love to prompt myself with that every, every so often just to keep myself in check. Mm-hmm. You can I, use I, those, <laughs> Oh, I will. I will. I'm making notes. Um, uh, I will use what makes your heart sing one day and I'll let you know how it goes at the rink. Okay. <laughs> Send your text yeah. message. <laughs> um, you know, as you're talking Mark about the questions and, and two years ago, I was thinking about this because I used to do workshops when I went to schools on resiliency mm. and I did this for many years while I was a, a professor and we would do this speed. I call this speed dating 
well, no, I call it speed greeting, but it was the same format as speed dating. Actually, one time a mom came in and she was late to the, the workshop and there were about 100 people lined up around the room in pairs doing this activity that was speed greeting, a speed uh, greeting, but on the big slide it said speed dating with an X and she like started bolting back down the hallway of this Catholic elementary school and kitchener, <laughs> the principal had to go get her. She thought she showed up for the wrong event. But one of the questions, one of the questions was, you know, what was your biggest concern three years ago and, and the context was parenting but I think we're all human so so that was why they were there but these are all human topics and so yeah. as you guys were talking I was thinking about the the question of what in me has to die so I could move forward and and I was thinking you know what would be my answer now and and I think this is this is the essence of, of struggle a lot of times when people are dealing with emotions or mental it's it's what in me has to change has to die, has to evolve for my progression as a human. And so I'll just share for me what's going on right now is, you know, my identity as, as a mother. I mean, when I had children, I did not expect to have this job at all. And my kids are now five and three. So the last three years have been a, a, a 180 of that identity and structuring of order and, you know, questioning, am I doing the right thing? And, and that could be translated into any type of profession or business where um, I thought I was going to be around a lot more. And now multiple days a week, I'm not even living at home. I'm living downtown Toronto uh, thinking, you know, is this, is this, is this the, am I doing right by the children I brought into the world? But my job actually feels like it has a purpose as well. Sure. And when I'm, when I'm listening to what makes your heart sing and, and what do I want to leave behind I continue to think about this idea of surrendering and surrendering what all the shoulds are and listening to the heart sometimes to go forward and create something out of nothing in this idea of well-being. And I love what you guys said. Those are great questions. So thank you very much. Thank yeah. you for asking. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I want to kind of shift it to shift the discussion to, you know, from an organizational perspective, because part of the challenge with all of this is that, you know, from a corporate perspective, we tend to treat these things as a program and, yeah. you know, it, it might sit in some dusty closet within HR somewhere, or with, you know, maybe, you know, some of the more forward thinking organizations might have a, a separate department, but still it's, it's a program and there's, you know, it's kind of rigid rigidity around it that, probably doesn't help facilitate the best environment to embed all of what we're talking about within an organization. And again, you know, I've had conversations on this season of the podcast with other psychs and, you know, in different organizations across sports, across business. And, and this is a, something that everyone's really grappling with. So, I mean, from a, from a sporting perspective and a huge organization like yours, Meg, let's start with you. And then I, I want to mm. ask you the same question, Mark, is, you know, you're working in, in men's hockey, one of the most famous organizations with one of the most storied histories. And then you come in, you know, in your role. How have you been able to, you know, where do you want to head in terms of structuring what you do across the entire organization, not just with the players, but mm -hmm. this needs to be something that's accessible to the people in the ticket office. It needs to be accessible to, to someone like Kyle. So, you know, how do you kind of go about molding that and, and designing it so that it can be effective, not just with the players? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I think the most, I think the context of this role is important. And then touching upon the leadership and how they have not only embraced it and endorsed it, but also normalized the importance of it. So the role of athlete well-being and performance, I'm going into my second season with it. And as you were talking about the leaps, I was smiling because sometimes in the day-to-day workplace, you kind of forget how, well, it just reminded me how uh, I very feel very fortunate to work for such a special place. And, you know, for two years, I was a consultant in my background study in culture and people. I, I was a person, personal professional development coach, mainly for the athletes, but I had an opportunity to work with some of the staff. So I understood from, from the ground level, um, or I, I was starting to understand what the norms are, what the patterns and behaviors are, who's worked there for decades, who's new, um, how the different interdepartments function. Because I think for any organizational evolution, I don't even want to think change, but maybe change is infused in the evolution that you have to understand the culture and that takes time and that takes time and patience. So once um, last year I kind of came up with this role and sat down with a word document and, and wrote up this role. I called it initially uh, director of mental health and leadership and Kyle Dubis, our general manager said, I think it should be well-being. And then our president, Brendan Shanahan said, and performance, you know, we're a high performance environment and that's really important as well. It was just initially myself with the um, intention of, of building a department. And I'll share with you where we're at there because I think it connects to what I was just saying of having to understand the culture and give it time. So, so if it wasn't for Kyle and Brendan, this wouldn't work. It wouldn't work at all. They hold the, the power. They hold the influence. They hold the respect and they support this fully. So I think in any organization, whether it be sport or other, but I can only speak to what, I, what I've been a part of, is that, you know, that, that leadership, that authentic belief that this is important has to be there or it's never going to work. It's just not going to. It's just not going to. Not at the level that I think it needs to happen or the, or the pace. And then after being a part of it this year, of this role of athlete well-being and performance and, and doing similar work with the players and the staff and, and trying um, a workshop. So I brought in a phenomenal psychiatrist named Dr. Marie-Claire Bork, and she's worked on some things with mental health, and she's also done um, some professional development with our staff. Every single person in the organization had we call the Mental Health 101. She gave a two-hour workshop um, four different times to different, different staff groups and, and um, head office. So we've decided to expand the program, and, and I'll share with you what we're expanding it to, and I think then every different organization who's interested in do, that's interested in doing something similar would need to look at their people and, and create from what's being called forth and what's needed to be created to guide um, the staff uh, in, in a direction of, of normalization of, of mental health and well-being. And you even use the term peak performance, which I think is, is very true also for the staff that work in a high-performance environment. So, so in addition to Dr. Marie-Claire Bork, 
coming on board as a full-time psychiatrist, but she, her role is mental health and peak performance. We, we have different programs that are available for the players and the staff that I think express this mission of well-being. So we have mindfulness, which I think we're going to call, uh, well, season hasn't started. So we're playing with the term because we want to parallel it to strength and conditioning of the body. So we might call it mental strength and conditioning mm-hmm. and complement it. So we want to have it for the players. And then it's going to be, you know, a secondary session for the staff um, for two reasons. One, because we know it's important to have everybody in the organization engage in the tools and practice it. But also it's really important for the players to see that the staff are walking the talk as well. Um, We have a hockey and program. So it's a, a small course the six-session six course that we created with a, an external company um, where the players, if they want, um, could embark on an exploration of who they are or what they want to do in addition to hockey, not only when they retire, but maybe they're 22 and all they've ever done is play hockey. And, you know, they, they, they look at their summers or they look at their, their days off or their practice days and maybe they're really bored or, or, or at a deeper level unfulfilled. So we thought, why don't we create a course that they could take that the club provides where they get to explore what that means and maybe even do informational interviews or be linked up with mentors in the broader um, world that support interests in addition to being a hockey player and only identifying themselves as a hockey player if they want. Um, and then another thing that we decided to do as an organization for well-being is bring in mentors and then I'll get to the staff as well because I know you said that was really important. So, mm-hmm. so we have a current player who's still on the team and he provides tremendous mentorship. And so he's being provided the opportunity to, to get some training and, and skills-based learning so that as he does his work as a player and continues to be a role model and mentor for the players, we recognize who he is and what he brings as, to the club. And then we've also, um, just this past week, and I'm, I'm very excited about it, in addition to Dr. Bork, brought on um, a former alumni named Nick Antropov. So, so, so for, for the young players from Eastern Europe, he's going to be available in supporting their development as professionals and also just being someone there available to chat and, and understand where they're coming from. So we feel like that, that supports the players, connects to the staff, and then one of the things Dr. Bork and I are working on this year is holding the question of what type of professional development can we do um, holistically with the staff. So, so in the past year, I did one-on-one professional development coaching with some of the staff who wanted it. Mm-hmm. And I did different workshops of professional development with different teams within the team. So a medical staff or an equipment staff or leadership staff. So this time next year, hopefully, we have a program <laughs> without using no term, but that, that we bring it to management in the offseason and um, we look at the staff of saying, how do we support them one-on-one and as a staff in a very high-paced environment where they're getting skills and tools and expanding not only their proficiency and their task, but perhaps fulfillment, balance, and um, greater awareness if they want, but also that when you come to work for our organization and, and wear this logo, that, that this is what our company really believes is important. Well, it's not going to surprise you because you've seen me talk about this topic, but uh, I'm thrilled to hear all of that, particularly the, the, the staff and the leadership pieces. 
because I think that's something that has has been overlooked for for too long. And um, yeah, we can raise raise everyone up, you know, not just the quote unquote you know, high value players or the the high value assets like they would be called in the media. It's like no, mm-hmm. everyone everyone is of incredible uh, value to the organisation. Same question to you though, Mark, you know, you you meet a lot of people, a lot of different organizations, doesn't, doesn't even need to be like corporate, but you know, influencers and and celebrities and athletes. And what are you seeing in that space in terms of how organizations and and different brands are addressing this and taking it out of that, you know, program kind of structured and, and into something that's more embedded and intentional? I guess the word I would use is I'm hopeful because we're, it feels like we're at the beginning with, with roles like what you have and in other large organizations where there, there's someone at least dedicated. It's not, you know, a full department yet. Mm-hmm. It's getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, like you said, the leadership is, is really supportive and on board. I think where we'll really see um, a giant leap forward is when, and this is happening definitely, and I even hear it in your response, but when we decouple the program or the, the help we're trying to offer our teams from this is just for a corporate benefit, right? Like yeah. you know, back when I was in, in, in the corporate world, you'd, come, you'd see it all the time. You'd have like color theory experts coming in and personality tests and how can you sell better and do this course. And, you know, it's, it's good for the day. And then, and then it, it hovers around for a few days and then it's gone. Whereas something like this, as, and again, I think it starts with, with the leadership and, and the people that are leading these programs, but these are lifelong benefits when it comes to, you know, our, our mental well-being and, and the, the term I always use is mental fitness. So if, if we can provide education around that and tools and, and services and practices to help people in general with their life and, and, and allow them to see the benefit across, you know, a 360 view, then there's automatic benefit for the corporation for sure. And, and the benefit to just, to society in general, right? And I think, like, that's why I say I'm hopeful because I can see that that shift coming, but there's still many organizations that are, you know, linking these things to really, you know, revenue-generating kind of KPIs and things like that and, you know, less, less burnout and less that, which, is, which I get. But the moment we can cross that threshold, I mean, I don't think anyone can argue that as soon as your mind or body goes... I mean, like what's left, right? You're, you're no longer doing the job. You're no longer um, the mom, the dad, the, the brother, the sister. You're, you're in a survival mode of some sort, right? So I, we can probably all agree that keep, keeping those things healthy is, is a good thing. I love what you're saying about measuring KPIs. And, and that's a, a constant uh, conversation that I didn't know I would have. And it's not really, it's not a debate in our organization, um, initially was a, a conversation with a few, but I guess, and, you know, measuring KPIs, doing surveys, quantitative analysis of like psychological well-being or connection to performance. I think that, and I'll, I'll speak, I think it just kills the trust Yeah. because as you were saying, implicit within that is how can I benefit from this? How can I measure it? I have to measure it 
for, so that I know it can work, so that's worthy of my investment. Or maybe that's the icky feeling that I get as a qualitative researcher, sure. <laughs> you know, and I'm not a quantoid by any means. So, so, but I think it's immeasurable, and I think that it, what really matters is the individual people. And, and when you when you look at it from that perspective, um, you can't uh, say it's a trust, trusting environment and then say, okay, but go fill out a survey and we're going to track your data every day. Um, from a place of power because we hold your contract or, or we can trade you or, you know, we can determine whether you get a promotion relative to the person beside you. Um, it's just, it's just, it's just emotionally unsafe. It's, it's not right. It's unethical. And, um, we had an interesting conversation, um, Dr. Marie Claire Bork and, and, and Kyle Dubas and, and Brendan, we were talking about this idea of, of what's most important if we bring on a psychiatrist, and I don't think this is a, conver- uh, a confidential conversation because I think the intention of the conversation or the outcome is so significant in telling. And our general manager Kyle, who's you know, talk about a leader on earth right now. He's um, mm-hmm. quite a special human, and so he said, "I don't. This is not about performance. You know, this is not about having someone so that we win the Stanley Cup." You know, yes, I hope the plans are in place for that to happen. But this is about the people that work in the organization. Every single person in the organization, I want to have access to someone who, if they don't feel like themselves, if they're in crisis, they have someone. We need leaders like that. Yeah, that's refreshing. Yeah, we need leaders in every organization like that. And, and I mean, that's, that's the end point. There was a period after that statement. There was no plans. You know, all the other stuff is benefit and it's bonus, mm-hmm. but someone who knows that that's very, very important, period. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I agree with this, this entire conversation and, and yeah, I guess the, the struggle, particularly in the, the business landscape is just always going to be that underlying ROI question and the organizations that can take it away from that, I think are going to really benefit and and look at and you're starting to see this just with other measurements and you know you've been in a pharmaceutical organization so talk about kpis and things like that like you know it better than anyone mark but <laughs> yeah. um, there are organizations that are really starting to look at inputs across everything they do rather than outputs and and i think that's you know it's encouraging to see, but there's still a long way to go with that because yeah, like you said, this you get this icky feeling, like even talking about it, I've kind of cringed up when we're talking about like measuring, um, you know, wellness and the mental health and what we're talking about here. And yeah, I hope we can steer it clear of that. Yeah. Um, because yeah, it's, uh, it's not something that, that needs measurement. Let's walk our own talk here. What practices and skills that we use, amongst ourselves, little things that, you know, when, when things get stressful, when anxiety sets in, you know, I'm a football coach, so I stand on a sideline for two hours and it's one of the mm-hmm. most refreshing, but one of the most stressful things that happens. And I'm often on no sleep because I care too much. Let's start with you, Mark. What little practices do you use? Maybe other than your app? Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> to, to bring yourself back centered and, and get yourself calm. You know, I'm talking those two second things, something you can do on the train when you know you just need a couple of seconds to yourself. 
Yeah. Yeah. And just, just to preface just with the app, I mean, I, I also have a pen and, and a notebook and, and all that stuff. Like old school. Yeah. I mean, what's a pen? I think the most important for any of these practices for, especially for anyone starting out is really, you know, find something that, that works for you and that's going to set you up for success. Right. And, and this is where the, act of the practice and also why it's called a practice it takes work and evolution and whatnot but the act of the practice is 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 really better than the the actual vehicle like it doesn't matter whether it's an app a notebook or if you're just thinking but just doing it is where the, the value is and one of the things i've been really focusing on a lot and you asked you know that you can do really quickly is uh, it's wild to me that the thing that keeps us alive um every day is something we never think about and that's just breathing Right. I mean, anyone listening right now, even if you just sit up straight and take a couple big deep breaths, you immediately feel that that benefit and that difference in, in your body. So I, you know, I meditate often, but like this morning, I just I didn't I ran out of time. So I did a three-minute breath work exercise using, I mean, I use an app just to do um, box breathing to kind of keep track of it, but just that alone, I mean, now I feel like I've, I've left and started the day uh, where I've given myself a bit of control in the day and starting out in the, in the right mindset. So, yeah, there are a ton of things. I think I've gone through a lot of different practices over the, over the years, but the, the, the most important aspect of that, at least for me, is I've always prioritized time in the morning for mental and physical fitness. And essentially, that's how the app was born as well. So, what happens in that time frame evolves and changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's important too. Yeah, and it's been like that's been the greatest gift of, of being in this world and just having conversations like this. Like we're all leaving with different prompts and different things to think about. So, you know, how can you layer that into your routine so it doesn't feel like you need to get up at this time, meditate, journal, breathe? Like that just doesn't work, right? But if you evolve into that, then you actually keep it. Yeah. Th- that's what, where I struggle a little bit is a lot of the commentary and a lot of the quote-unquote experts are quite dogmatic in their beliefs that you, know, you need to get up at 4.30 because Michelle Obama does and yeah. you need to meditate. And, and I really struggle with that because I haven't found any sort of benefit personally in any of that. Mine is like I don't have a morning routine, proudly at the moment because everyone's talking about it. But sure, yeah, talking of breathing, you know, mine is close my eyes and a couple of deep breaths. You know, I look like I'm asleep, you know, when I'm sitting at my desk half the time because I'm just taking a couple of seconds to myself, three deep breaths, and you know, focus on those and, yeah. and I'm refreshed and good to go. And um, the same on the sidelines is when you know when I start to get anxious or before I talk to the team at half time, I'll do the same practice and just trying to weave that more and more into it. Yeah. Rather than this kind of dogmatic approach, like you must, and sure. you know, the, the most successful people on earth do this one thing and, and all of that crap. There's I, no I really prescription. It's really not there. And the only thing I, I can say that is a, a prescription that will work because it will help find practice is, is it's another prompt, but it's really, you know, what are the five or 10 things in your in your life that make you feel happy or make you smile and make your heart sing exactly make your heart sing right and if you can keep that list 
it's, it's one of the most powerful lists possible because whether you're in a time of, of, you know, high stress and feel out of control or losing hope, you can turn to that list knowing that that toolbox will pull you out of that. And it's also a way for people that are looking, knowing, knowing that these practices are beneficial, but don't know where to start. You know, you can pick one of those things and it doesn't have to be meditation. One of mine is just, you know, going to an art gallery or looking at photography and just taking the time to just, you know, create some space. Um, environment. Yeah. yeah, but just, and, and just knowing you have that list, you've taken a bit of time to think about it. Uh, also mentally, you know, provides a bit of ease. Meg, what works for you? I'll share a few that are, are present right now. And I, I'm so glad you say that you don't have a morning routine um, because I don't either. And I really, I really have beaten myself up about that for so many years because I say, oh, I'm a journal every day. 20 minutes. Well, that's good for like two days. <laughs> and this is even before I had kids in a life where I'm constantly in service of others. And, and, I, and I, right. I never want to always be that person that brings up kids, but like anyone who is the primary caregiver, whether that be children or someone who needs care or an elderly parent or a sick person in their life, like it changes, it changes your game. And so how do you perform, like, how do I or how does someone perform at a high level and not necessarily compete against others, but, you know, keep up when there's so many other responsibilities. And and I bring that up because it's a struggle, but it's real. And it's real for, I hope, um, you know, everyone's going to go through it at some point. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to bring it into the call. So some of the things that I'm, that are working for me now are I did it yesterday when I was I was driving and I don't know if that's a good thing I'm on the highway and I'm driving but <laughs> well, I'm I'm noticing, close your I'm eyes and because I have <laughs> yeah no 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 um but I'm noticing that the, the more that I have on my plate the more I'm in my head and I can feel I'm in my head because I'm very disembodied like mm-hmm. every all the energy all the thoughts it's all in my head and my body I'm not attuned to anything that's going on and disembodied uh, to use that language. And so yesterday I was driving like, my head is spinning. And so I thought drop into your heart. And then I just kind of thought about my heart. It's, it's cool that you said that earlier about the heart and it, it just calmed my brain down. And then about five of the thoughts that were spinning through my mind, I had answers to two and then the rest kind of just went away. So dropping into the body, that was one. Another thing I've noticed, uh, again, with those thoughts that are anxiety-inducing or um, bring a lot of emotion, perhaps, or just kind of take someone out of the moment, is I notice when I'm not listening to the people around me. Yeah, that's good. At all. And for me, I find that I'm on my game at work. I'm, I'm really on but it's often when I'm with the people I love like the most or most um, meaningful, whether that be my husband or my children, my parents probably know them too, that like my closest people, those are the ones I'm actually not listening to at all. You know, I'm just kind of thinking about all the other things that are going on my mind. So what has helped me uh, recently is catching myself, you know, standing at the toaster and realizing I'm thinking about work and then just say, okay, just listen to them to get myself out of myself and more present. So can I use my senses to bring myself out of myself? 
So listening to me helps me. Another well, this thing, is where the kids come in. Sorry, I just because I, I mean I have yeah. a three and a half year old. They 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 are quick to tell you when <laughs> when you're not there, right? Mentally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and unlike colleagues, like they're relentless. They're just <laughs> you give them attention. They pick up on it, so it's actually a beautiful opportunity to, to practice. Another thing, um, and I find this is a topic for you know podcast two is that uh, you know there's there's so much out there, like you guys said about what to do and what you should do. And as a as a uh, healing perfectionist, you know, I'm recovering perfectionist. That's really hard to, to, to integrate. So, you know, I don't exercise right now, but as someone who's trying to manage a lot of different things right now and handle that perfectionist critic in, in my mind that will always be there, I, I've chosen to say, how can I just know I'm trying my best? You know, practice, practice self-love all the mm. time because that, that is really helpful right now. One other thing I've, I've tried to do at work is um, that feeling of like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know the answer, or um, I don't know what that person thinks about this topic. What I've chosen to try to do this summer as a point of reflecting on this past season and saying, okay, I think I can do a better job, is those, those things that I don't know and I sit in them, whether I'm at home or I'm at work and I'm thinking about and pondering questions, topics, let's say about scouting or, or new types of character analysis or thinking, thinking things through, through, I've intentionally text or emailed colleagues and say, hey, can we set up a call? I, I don't know answers to these types of questions. I'd love to pick your brain. That connection with colleagues, which I think I know because I do the professional development workshops around it, is extremely intimidating because that feeling like you need to know or be an expert in a workplace, especially high performance, is so much a part of the culture. I think that vulnerability is incredible for self-care. And then the last thing is identifying my values. And I did this with my colleague yesterday, actually. We played this game and and I identified my four values, hope, kindness, courage, and integrity. And I put them on my phone because I'm on my phone hours a day. And I put them on my phone because I want to live in those values. And if I don't, then usually something's off. So I think identifying the values is connected to the expression of ourselves in every other capacity of our lives. So those those are the things that I'm working on right now. I love even the, the the nuance of putting it on your phone and and just that you know daily behavior. It kind of takes it from that foyer wall kind of we just slap some words up here to something that's you know constantly with you. Because yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a great exercise to go through to to think through your your personal values and uh, extremely challenging and therapeutic for, for anyone that is, is willing to do it. Um, but then, like you said, Meg, you, you've got to live in it. Mm-hmm. Knowing, them is, knowing them is one thing, but the, the behaviours that are associated with those values are the most important thing. You know, you, mm-hmm. you, can, you can't see values, but you can see behaviours. And talk about a mental fitness, you know, like Mark, you were saying, like mental fitness and, and, and elevating oneself, like practicing those values in real time and real life is, is that building the capacity of that fitness I make up? Is that, is that how you would think as well? Or how do you think about values with your work? Yeah, well, it's, it's all for sure. It's all centered around 
you know, what, what I stand for personally and what our team stands for. Um, and even us, like we're, I mean, we're, we're human. We're, we're trying to build a company. And I remember at one point it was, uh, would have been last year we were working on another big release and we were doing everything possible to have that out for the, the December kind of Christmas or you know, holiday timeframes. It's just the obvious time, right? Everyone's reflecting on the year that just passed and getting ready for the year ahead. And like, we were just behind. And I remember at, at one point right before the holidays, I mean, we're, we're a wellness company trying to help people around the world. We can't burn ourselves out. We're trying to get this thing out. And you know what? There'll be many more Decembers in our, in our lifetime. So we just pushed it. And, you know, at the end of the day, we were probably out of the noise and it was probably a good thing. We launched it at the end of January, I think. And like life went on, right? Here we are still alive. We're, we're chatting. Mm-hmm. So I think just, yeah, it's, it's so easy because we're all of us. It's so easy to get onto an autopilot, right? And I think you, you nailed something so important in, in the car that so many people unfortunately don't have the luxury of doing and you took a breath and you did sink into your body whereas the majority and hence why we have such a mental health crisis on on our hands don't even don't even see that don't have that self-awareness and that's what all these tools that we're talking about and practices help develop right and these little you know even the phone hacks i mean I, i didn't include as a practice but i probably should in this conversation just in the last year and a half actually retooling my phone so that social media icons are three screens deep or three swipes on my my iphone without any notifications has probably changed my life so you know when i unlock my phone and i have the same setup as you um, meg like the, the the wallpaper is something that inspire me or remind me of something positive and the first screen are all applications that are only going to lead to better things for me and the second one is work related but again no notification so there's there's so many small little things just with that little device that can completely change your day and your mental health if you choose to, to slowly start chipping away at it i'm making a note as both of you are talking and the note is like, thank you. <laughs> That's what it says. Thank you to both of you because I'm sitting here talking to two men who are for the last hour talking about emotions and feelings and embodiment and mindfulness and, and doing good in the world and bringing this to a bigger place. And both of you have podcasts that are created connection. And, and I just wanted to thank you because as a woman in kindergarten, in grade one, a lot of girls, you sit on, you sit at recess and you talk about your feelings and, and you, you relationship, uh, a lot of times I'm, I'm gender stereotyping for sure. I have sociology background. I know <laughs> what I'm saying, but, but, but there is oftentimes, you know, I see it with, with the men I work with and the, the athletes that it's, it takes, it takes men like you to role model these conversations. So thank you very, very much. Speechless. Thank you. <laughs> no, thank you too. Yeah, it's been great. Um, uh, just a, a final thought here and then, you know, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up. But when you were talking about your December there, Mark, the, the thing that came to mind for me, uh, I've been 
reading. It's taken me a long time, but I've been reading Sapiens. And yeah. I know I'm one. also reading. It's taken a long time. <laughs> um, it's on my shelf. I have it. It's going to take a long time, Meg. <laughs> yeah, got it. <laughs> the, the, it's funny because, it, you know, again, just something really simple, the, the history of, of Homo sapiens. And, and the thing that really stood out to me was the idea of imagined realities. And it comes up a couple of times, imagined hierarchies, imagined realities, and, and just this idea of, you know, money is a fabrication. And basically all of the structures that we have around ourselves are complete fabrications that only exist in our own minds. And that's been quite a liberating idea for me personally because of things like that. It's like the December doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. I, and, you know, I, I think it's really personally, it's freed me from a lot of the just superfluous shackles that you have on yourself of, you know, all we really have had historically is connection with, with other human beings and, and we've just had a, an hour and something conversation about it. So it's, it's clear we all kind of vibe on that. But yeah. that's really all there has been. And everything else is, is, is just window dressing yeah, to a certain totally. extent. And, and I think being able to revisit that idea has really helped me. It's like, is this, yeah, is this particular, is this really important? Is this blog that I'm creating? Uh, you know, the main thing should be, am I happy with it? Yeah. Not, not does it come out by a particular time or does it hit a certain amount of words. And, yeah, I've just found a real kind of inspiration from that idea that's helped uh, remove some of those personal shackles that, that you put on yourself, which are easy to do. Totally. I mean, there's, we, we, we run a, a life of all these self-narratives <laughs> that the majority of the time don't come to fruition but lead us into wild anxiety loops, right? So can somehow pull out of that. And again, I, I keep saying autopilot, but you know, if you can somehow get up to that 30 or 40,000 foot view and just slow things down a bit, then it just, it, it just keeps, it keeps you evolving and keeps you in, in touch with those values and frees you. Like you said, those shackles, right? Or I, I guess it, it just provides perspective. It would be the way I would describe yeah. it. Yeah. And it's nice that there's a historical element to it. As yeah. Well. And I think that's what's the refreshing part. It's not a, you know, it's something that we know but about ourselves, but it's, uh, yeah, to, to have it kind of come from a, a DNA perspective also adds a little bit of extra oomph to, to the sure. idea. Where can people find you, Mark, that want to follow along with, with what you're doing? Yeah, easiest place. I mean, I'm, I'm accessible. If you want to find me personally, I'm on LinkedIn, Mark Champagne, just spelled the same as the bubbly. Just put Keo beside that and it'll, it'll pop up. Um, and the podcast is probably the best place. Um, Keo Conversations on all the different podcast channels. Uh, I say that just because, you know, if, if you're interested, the app, you'll find it through there. But I think the conversations like what we're having right now and providing different perspectives and context and industries and all of that is really what really what people are looking for and, and i personally resonate as well so that, that'd be a great place to follow along what about you meg where can people find what you're up to the simplest answer is linkedin i have a website but that was from before i started doing this work and so um i don't have anything that's kind of keeping up to date with what we're doing it what I'm doing within the organization, but to continue the conversation, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm not the best at replying, so give me some time, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm always there and 
and maybe maybe through you, Cody, if anyone is interested uh, and they know you, then then I'd love for you to be a conduit if that's okay with you. To Absolutely. Spread spread these vibes and mm-hmm. and this expression of freedom that we're trying to all co-create together. Absolutely happy to be that conduit. And uh, yeah, my my email address is everywhere so people know where to find that. Thank you so much, both of you. I know we've covered a lot of ground and I feel like there's already a, a 2.0 in the yeah. works for sure. <laughs> but I just wanted to thank you for your time and, and honesty and vulnerability. And uh, like you said, Mega, you know, these, these conversations are challenging and, and, you know, opening up is uh, intimidating, but uh, I think we're all doing good work and, and uh, putting positivity out into the world. So more of that. And I'm looking forward to the next conversation with you both.